0: You're listening to Inspire Instructor Podcast, where the learning never stops. Welcome you wonderful people and thank you for listening to Inspire Instructor Training Podcast. You might have noticed that we've had a brand change and I have joined forces with the wonderful Diana Todd and Decalion mcgregor Sims. We have set up a training company, and we are going to be providing uh, courses, and a membership, and workshops, and lots of other wonderful things coming in the in the future. Uh, for now, I'm just going to ask you to head over to Inspire Instructor Training on Facebook and like our Facebook page, so you can get all the information of everything we are. Uh, planning for in the future. But we're we're planning to launch in January with a couple of um, products to help you guys become the best instructors that you can be. On to um, today's episode though. Um, So today we have uh, Ray Seagrave. Um, Ray is amazing. He's got a wealth of knowledge and we discuss all things coaching and how Ray got into the industry. Um, and how he's used his background to um, help him within the industry um, and yeah we t- and we discuss risk management and also we move on to our uh, conversation about the national standards which was also actually about risk risk as well um, and then if you listen to the end you can hear Ray's amazing um, top tip so without further ado on to the episode. Welcome Ray go to the podcast. Um, Ray is someone who I have like watched a few times at um expos and and um webinars and and things like this and and always been very impressed with with the content that you put out so super happy to have you on the podcast um so yeah welcome ray it's nice being here thank you Phil yeah it's fantastic looking forward to it brilliant so um having said that I I've, I've seen a few of your um your content on on the podcast I'm um, sorry on webinars and, and and things i don't necessarily know too much about your background i think i maybe have heard you talk about it briefly on, on occasions but mm. yeah i'd be intrigued to sort of know how you um got into the industry to start with yeah so how did you get into the into the industry
1: um well i um i came from a completely different industries as, as most people do when they when when they become a, a driving instructor and and that's what i think brings loads of variety to the industry you know we come from we're all different all different sides of the, of the universe uh and uh, all different skills and we all bring those to bear in, in helping pupils achieve goals but i came from uh management side i was um Uh, a marketing director for many years uh, and I worked in the clothing industry also worked in um, fashion retail um, and I worked in the paper industry so um, and I was in uh, I was in marketing for for quite some time Um, and um, I really um, I really enjoyed that but then there came a period in my life where I thought wow you know uh, my kids were growing up I'd like to see more of them Uh, and um, and uh, if I was going to go more into business I knew that was going to take much more of my time and um, so my wife and I at the time decided, you know, what 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 could we do that would be um, uh, that would help pay the pay the pay the bills, but also um, would help um, give me plenty of time to see my kids growing up. So um, we decided to foster, and we went into fostering, and um, and that gave me um, an opportunity to spend more time with kids, and also some additional kids, and we we're moving them on to. Um onto new parents, and um uh, and that was quite an interesting part of my life. but um, that really then gave me an opportunity to, to step away from the um the real manic side uh, of business into the driver train industry. I always wanted to become uh, a train the trainer when I first came in, but um I uh, and it wasn't an easy road for me. I think i I started to learn about the business when you're in the business. um, but I came with a passion, and I think, when my kids were growing up, I said to them, you know, follow your passion and you'll enjoy what you do. Um, and I came with a passion really to um, help others be successful. And I suppose that came from my, um, my business management side, but um, really helping people to become the best that they could be. Um, and that was my passion to try and be the best that I could be. So when I when I joined the industry, I, I felt really the weight of that responsibility on my shoulders. Uh, if there was anything that I said or anything that I did um, while I was training someone, I wanted to make sure that um, that was correct because I would have hated it if if they if they, if they their names appeared in the local papers because they've been in, in some incident on the road. That 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 would have really been um, uh, uh, a thing that I couldn't, couldn't live with myself with. So I wanted to try and, if I was going to teach this on, I wanted to really understand what, what it was about, uh, and really get to know the business, the industry. So I could then, um, stand stand proud and go, right. Okay. This is, th- 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 I know what I'm talking about now. I know what I'm doing. I've got some, I've got some time behind me and uh, I really want to now train others to be the best that they can be. So they can pass that message on when they're helping pupils, um, um, what what effectively is uh, is a massive life skill that could be, you know, if they, if it's done correctly and and they become safe on the road and it's it's also about their families as well. So I came with a passion for making sure that uh, uh, road safety and making sure that everyone was going to be okay. Um, so when I when I joined, um, <clears throat> unfortunately, I I think I uh, I mean I worked hard at it. Um, I didn't know how to a mortgage to pay so I thought I'll well, make this work there's that that pressure as well but I um I also decided to take the leap of faith right into it and I'm the sort of person that whenever I commit myself to something it's it's 110 percent you know it's all in um because I want to try and make the best of it um so I um I started the industry and uh, um I um, I quite quickly learned at the time, this was this, I don't know if you were around then, Phil, but this is uh, the old part three qualification system, which was different to what we have now, which is the um, uh, which is, which is the, the standards check qualification system. But um, the old part three was a series of preset tests and the examiner role played. And um, quite soon after that, when I passed my uh, when, when I passed my part three, um, I realized that actually I'd been taught to pass a test. Um, and I wasn't really been taught the skills I needed to be a really, really great driving instructor. Um, and, um, And that's a theme that um, I carried with me that I wanted to make sure that I wasn't teaching pupils to pass a driving test either. I wanted to make sure that they were the best driver that they could be. And I knew that if I did that, not only would they pass a driving test, but ultimately the goal was that they were going to be safe on the road. And I knew that they were more likely to be that um, if I could help them understand how what they did uh, and their attitude towards driving and their beliefs and their behaviors would then ultimately result in them in then doing well or having problems so um so i joined um uh, understanding that actually I needed a bit of work to do now uh, I've passed a part three qualification but really I, I there was there was huge gaps um and I sort of recognized that because from my past um, my past experience I was um, I did a lot of coaching um and managing staff and coaching staff to be the best that they can be and helping them achieve goals was part of my work ethic it was part of me as a person um I'd also at that time um taken some qualifications in life coaching uh, so coaching was in my blood. Um, and when I came into the industry, the, the industry was just about to change. Uh, the Hermes report came out and uh, there was some European stuff going on. And um, and uh, the national and driver rider standards, as they are now, um, were just about to be uh, rewritten to what they are now. Um, so all that change was happening in the industry. And that's when client-centered learning started to first appear. Uh, and I really was getting enthusiastic about that because it was changing. Cause when I first qualified, I thought, well, is this it, you know, should I really be training in this way? Should I re-? it's very prescriptive. It's not really helping pupils learn. Um, it's really doing things in a more, um, instructor centric way, you know, rather than a client centered approach. And to a degree, I was very frustrated with that. In fact, what happened was I, I pretty much went, okay, I've qualified. Now let's see how I can help my people best learn. Um, and then I went on to really get into grips with the changes that are happening in the industry. Being in the forefront of that was important and um, and aligning myself with the right with the right people in the in the industry that was also important. You know those that were forward thinking, those those trainers that um could see what was happening on the horizon. Um, so i uh, I invested heavily in my own personal development. You know I wanted to make sure that was uh, keeping up with change in the industry. So then when I did move on to be a trainer trainer, I was again doing the right thing. So uh, I approached it with a lot of passion um, and uh, 100% to do the right thing at the right time and be in the right place at the right time. So I could then stand high and go, okay, so now um, when I'm training this on, uh, I can make sure that the people that I'm training, um, you know, um, they're they're approaching it in a similar sort of way, that um, they've got a passion for passing on that safety conscious and safety aspect to road safety.
0: I I love
1: all of that um
0: I I I love how you have you came into the industry with this this sort of kind of passion I think for me it was I was quite young when I started so I think I just came in to be a driving instructor and and gradually grew the same sort of passions and and took a bit longer to get to to get to that sort of kind of want and need to do that but I, I love how you just kind of came in going I'm gonna I'm gonna change the world um and and make people safer on safer on the roads um just want to go back to a couple of things you said because you said early on about um how everyone kind of comes in with these different um sets of knowledge and and information into this industry and i think particularly this industry maybe more so than many others we just get this like elected sort of people from everywhere all over with loads of different sort of um, backgrounds and and you mentioned about marketing and 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 so I'm intrigued to see it like has that helped you with not so much the well maybe a little bit of the training side but also just like for putting yourself out there because I think that's something we don't get trained on as instructors um, you can go and search for that but I don't think it's necessarily there in 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 a lot of the courses
1: mm-hmm. and I'm also intrigued I, I'll, actually, I'll just let you talk about that first actually before I move on Well, um, it's happened in in a number of ways, actually. I mean, uh, um, I'm quite heavily into psychology. Uh, And when you think about the psychology behind marketing and sales, um, there's quite a lot of psychology there in terms of, you know, why might a person do one thing instead of do another? Um, And um, uh, so out of that, came a real uh depth of knowledge and understanding of the psychology behind things and you know as well as i there's a lot of psychology in driving there's a lot of psychology in um in helping someone uh, and understanding them uh, and their approach so um uh, so that's a, a big part of it but also you know um having a professional attitude and a professional approach to things. Um, Right from the early stages when I became a driving instructor, I thought, well, you know, if I'm going to stand out from... Everyone else, I've got to make sure that that I'm training to the best of my ability. That what I'm training is correct, um, but also that um, I'm acting in a professional way. I've signed up to a code of conduct, and that's all marketing, isn't it? It's all about how you present yourself. Uh, And those trainers that do that best, they do stand out, and you do see them. Um, And the way they the way they act, the way they present themselves, uh, the structure of their lessons, you know, um, and pupils come to, uh, and that can be part of your overall package can't it in terms of um, what pupils are effectively like at sales and marketing what what people's are buying from you well what pupils are buying from you really uh, is for them is an end result but what they come to realize is that um they're getting from you uh, a, um something they hadn't realized which is a um a fantastic life skill that's going to keep them safe that you know they, they tend to come to you wanting to pass a driving test but actually they leave um with a different approach um, with a different attitude and a different understanding that isn't about a driving test at the end of the day. So the, so the marketing aspect really is about um, how we as instructors present ourselves in a professional manner, in a professional way, but also um, the psychology around um, why people do things is a big, uh, is a big part of marketing. Uh, and um and understanding, you know, um, behaviours and aspects of behaviours and intentions and uh, our thoughts and our beliefs and our belief systems. They're all part of, really, when we delve into it, why a driver might do one thing as opposed to another. Um, so the psychology behind it is a, is a massive thing for me. Yeah, I think as soon as you said that, I thought, actually, part of what we do is is we
0: sell road safety to teenagers. <laughs> um, and, and so there is an element of... Um, that the psychology of changing their mm-hmm. behaviors and beliefs and and in there mm-hmm. um it's not too dissimilar to selling a product um you you you're selling them on the idea of being safe safe drivers um mm-hmm. you said about acting professional and actually this is something i've i noticed straight away with you actually so i think just from your for your to your credit it's when i went, when i first saw you at an expo you you stood out for that as as Like obviously there were some great talkers and trainers there but you you came across as professional um so I think it does you're right it stands out and if you if you want to put yourself out there as that person then it does stand out and it does work because I think that instantly before I knew who you were Mm -hmm. I was like oh this person's like even I think even before you spoke I was like this person knows what they're talking about because of the way you've presented yourself um so yeah for anyone out there listening sort of that what that that is asking themselves that maybe not for talking on stage but even just in in the car um mm. it does make a difference how you turn up to a lesson how you look and um and and how you present yourselves and and maybe not as much to the to the pupil but maybe to the parents when mm. they get out of the car and and how you act in
1: that situation yeah it's quality of service isn't it mm. and it's all part of that really I think
0: yeah um so I just wanted to ask you a little bit and about you um the fostering actually as well so you mm-hmm. said about that and I'm just intrigued whether that experience in your life then helped you like with teaching learners and sort of um helping I don't, I don't know this what like who you were fostering or, or what ages and stuff but whether that experience helped you again it's all sort of that life experience coming into into the industry
1: Well, I came, I mean, I came from a a family background, which was very stable, um, and, um, you know, uh, open relationships, and, you know, we talk amongst ourselves quite a lot. um, And uh, we'd help and support each other in that respect. But when I... um, Um, When I moved into fostering, um, if I didn't know before, I quite quickly recognized that actually not all family relationships were like that. Um, And um, there were different types of um, different types of relationship and and having the training to do that really helped me understand um, a lot about how um, uh, youngsters went through the care system, but but also um, how relationships and how good strong relationships help nurture and foster uh, a responsible attitude that would then serve them well um after the after they left the family home for example so we've got like solid um parenting and boundaries and you know morals and judgments they all come out when you've got a 17 year old learning to drive um and um it's helping, It's helping when we're in the car, it's helping pupils, we're going to talk about risk in a minute, but it's helping pupils understand um, what elements, what things that we do can attract low risk and what things that we do can attract high risk and what the consequences are, are around those things are. But we all know that there are um, there are there rules and laws, and whether we follow those rules and laws in society depends on a few, a few things, you know, whether, whether we, first of all, we believe in those rules and laws. I mean, quite recently, there was a change in law in, um, in Wales where they reduced the uh, speed limits down to 20 miles an hour and, um, and the backlash from that. Um, so there's a lot of drivers think, well, actually, I don't believe that it should be 20 miles an hour. So, um, and it's those belief systems that are there that, that would then determine whether they do actually travel at 20 miles an hour or not, depending on who's looking. So, so, um, that fostering element really just added to my understanding of how relationships are important in the car. Um, and not to, ju- uh, not to judge, um that um having a complete, complete non-judgmental approach um about this person next to you um they they come to the conclusions that they come to based on what their current life has been like so far and the decisions they've made so far based on their current level of knowledge and understanding about the world uh and where we're there to help present a, a different aspect to, to things in 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 a lot of respects um and um we are then presenting them with um with consequences and arguments that perhaps no one's talked to them about that before that the, they hadn't realized that, that that was the case before and, and and in that respect then we're helping develop a safe driving attitude and belief um so understanding that people can come from different backgrounds they 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 can come from um uh, sometimes very non-supportive, non-nurturing backgrounds, and the fact to maybe find their own way in life, um, and um, and that and the closest the closest people that they might listen to might be their friends, might not be uh, um, uh, someone back home, um, and um, and then we talk about you know um, in driver training we talk about the GDE matrix and and the high levels where where our pupils are surrounded by the peer group and society and those influences on their behaviours. So when you look at, I think that what what fostering gave me just gave me a deeper understanding of how everyone is different, and uh, as a trainer, um, if we approach that in in almost like a a thought neutral or a non judgmental way, um, and I know sometimes we talk about, you know, uh, learning styles, and we're tapping into lots of different things here, but we talk about learning styles and and auditory, and visual, and kinesthetic, and I actually, do you know, I like to completely turn that on its head and go, do you know what? it's about that person next to you. What is it that's unique about them? What is it that's unique about their their background, their upbringing, their thoughts, their beliefs, their attitudes, how they learn, how best they learn, what their learning experience has been like so far? Has that been good? Has it been bad? What's been good about it? What's been bad? It's about them as that person. And um, I'm finding out about them and, um, then does and we're not talking about this particular competence today but then really helps us as a trainer to adapt what we do um, to help our people best learn Um, and a big part of that is the relationship we have in the car um, so we can develop that open relationship the understanding there Uh, we get to know about our pupil and we find out what works for them Um, so we can then tailor what we do to help that person best learn and a lot of that is about relationships. A lot of that is about this two-way flow of communication um, that comes from uh, rapport and trust. And you can only get trust when, um, and I've got a flow of two-way co- uh, communication that really helps you understand that pupil and they'll answer your questions and they'll be, they'll be more prepared to answer those questions when they, when they trust you. And I think knowing about relationships and um and how to have really good open communication is a big part of a, a skill one of the five coaching skills but certainly a big part of the skills that that i'm helping um pdi's and adi's develop to, to help them with their business yeah i it, it's actually my favorite part of lessons is getting
0: to know the pupils um and finding out their their and, and i loved how you described it as it's like it's the individual that that person that we can talk up like you said you can talk about learning styles but I don't necessarily like putting those sort of kind of labels on it because I think you find somebody one is maybe a bit of both um, or actually they might like, like to learn one thing one way and then another thing another way I find the same and actually I spoke to um, Chris Benstead in the last episode a little bit about this I find the same with um, special educational needs that that you can put a label on it so this person is autistic or this person has ADHD um, and again it's it's not it's this person is an individual and and they will their their autism or ADHD will manifest in whatever way because of their experiences and and so again it just it's about going what works for them um and fight and finding that out and so yeah it's my it's the favorite part of my lessons because it's the bit it's the bit that's always different (laughs) um like the roads and stuff
1: you, you know those inside out but this is the bit you get to learn um so yeah I mean, this is the danger of labeling people. um um, you put the labels to one side. It, it isn't about a label. It isn't about uh, this or whether they're that it's about how can I help you? How can I help? What do you like? Um, what do you like? Um, what is it about what I'm doing at the moment that's helping you? What's not helping you? How can I change it what I do? um and then um and then that makes you then, Better uh, able to adapt to your pupils' needs, uh, and part of that is being open to understand a little bit about you and a little bit about, you know, where your strengths are uh, and where you're maybe not so strong, and those areas where you find yourself getting getting triggered on some things, and when you may have to sit back and go, hang on a minute, I, I perhaps need to be a bit more patient here. Um, so, um, so a lot about where you work on your adaptability. Uh, means that you become a better trainer because you are searching for the the answer to the question how can I best help you without there being any sort of label at all yeah um
0: -hmm. so I just wanted to um move on a little bit to where so you said you came into the industry and you had all these sort of kind of ideas of wanting to be you 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 wanted to be an instructor trainer um So, how did you go about that? Did you did you start off a solo? Were you part of a franchise, or? Um,
1: well, I, um, I, uh, well, when I first joined the industry, I was part of a franchise. I thought the well, the way I best learn is is very practical. So, I wanted to okay, I got this theory, I wanted to put the theory into practice. So, uh, I went on a PDI license, and that really helped me because it gave me an opportunity to uh, uh, to practice those to practice those skills. But then I set out on this thirst and quest for knowledge, like a big journey. Um, because I went into fleet, I wanted, uh, and that's where I could, I was better able to put my at that time uh, some of the coaching skills um, uh, um, more into uh, into lessons uh, or, or in, into into sessions with uh, when I was in fleet training. Um, as well as that, I looked at technically my own technical skills, so I um, I did things like IM and ROSPA, advanced driving because I wanted to make sure that um, I taught on the best practice um uh and um so i wanted to i was it was a thirst for knowledge i wanted to try and be the best that i could be as a driver the best i could be as a trainer uh, because i knew that um um i needed to get competent fully competent in what i was doing so that i could then uh, launch myself into um uh, into into instructor training the route for me was uh, through audit um so um i um um i went uh, i thought well what's the best way of doing this um and um obviously i went through some cpd myself some continuous personal development which i always did i mean i i I remember you know the first year of my training thinking okay i need to put some time aside for me i need to put some time aside for my development uh, and where can i best go for that so um and uh, how could i really develop my skills so i could um uh, but also commit to that, because I think it's, you know, with all good intention, you say, yeah, I'll, I'll do something this year. But unless you commit to that, sometimes it never gets done. Um, and it's one of the things I would say to um, those listening now that, you know, put some time aside in your diary for you, um, invest in yourself, um, because that's one of the best things you can do as a trainer. So um, so then uh, but I, I wanted to make sure that I practice this enough to give me the confidence to then move on. So I spent a few years um, building a business, um, making sure that um, my business as a um, as a driving school was strong. That I was I was I was making sure that um, I was learning while I was doing that. It was quite successful. Uh, I was an independent for a long time, um, and then um, I decided to grow a school. Um, and as I did that, I was taking on PDIs and ADIs. But then I recognised that actually I didn't want to become a manager of a driving school um when i did my mba one of the um one of the my thesis was about how how entrepreneurial managers um grow and develop businesses but how they have to change and this and the skill sets they have to develop and sometimes that takes them away from the things they enjoy um, and so they have to learn about how to adapt uh, if that's what they want. So I, I, quite early, I decided I didn't want to grow a big school. I probably could, but then that would mean I would need to turn me into a manager of a school rather than a trainer. And I love – the, the passion was around the training. So I wanted to make sure that I could be um, – I, I could focus on the training. So I decided to grow my school based on um, uh, ADIs becoming independent um, and, um, and and going down their own path of independence and, being, and, and growing their own school and helping them grow and develop their business. So then um, I then moved into um, uh, audit training um, more, um, more uh, earlier. So a little, let's go back about four or five years when, when um, just before COVID kicked off. Um, um, prior to that, I was doing some classroom sessions, um, but then COVID hit and all of a sudden, um, what, what were we going to do? You know, um, we're all at home and um, then Zoom appeared. Uh, And that allowed then for my business to continue to keep reaching out to ADIs that wanted support, um, certainly through the COVID times, but also uh, additional training. There were still, you know, uh, things happening at that time. So I had to upskill and um, learn all this new technology, surrounded by three screens at the moment, Um, and uh, I've got a studio with me. Um, So we've got um, uh, technical abilities to be able to change what we do, and that's all part of Changing as a trainer as well in terms of um, you know new technologies and what's happening in the industry and, and pushing that forward. Um, but I um, uh, so with that, I then uh, was doing classroom sessions. Then COVID hit; uh, they had to stop. I was also doing one-to-one sessions in, in car. Then COVID hit, um, and um, as well as that, I just I started to become more nationally known um, by attending the the, the, the national conferences. Um, and um, I started run my own courses, uh, online courses, in classroom courses, travel the country, and um, also teaching an ADI associations. So I was I was I was in, down in Cambridge a couple of weeks ago when there was um, there was about uh, thirty in there, thirty four in there, which is a quite a nice, sizable classroom session. We had a great day. Um, so I've been doing those things for a number of years now, but uh, on the back of also becoming um, Uh, An audit trainer. uh, I mean, there are. I know there's some trainers out there that aren't audit trainers, and they are particularly good trainers. But uh, I think that um, uh, when you align yourself with the 17 competences of the um, the national standards, that they go right through from uh, audit, right through to ADI, right through to Part Three, right through the whole system. So, um, um, so I decided to become an audit trainer, and. and uh, that's where i've that's where I've been. so uh, and enjoying every single day of it, brilliant. um yes. so
0: let's so you you've mentioned obviously the national standards there and the um part three and how it all sort of runs all the way through. so let's let's use that, and we'll move we'll move on to um having our our conversation about our competency for this week. So mm-hmm. this week's um competency was um or is. Did the trainer ensure the pupil fully understood how the responsibility for risk would be shared? Yeah. Um, so, Ray, I'm, over to you. <laughs> Teach me about this.
1: Well, I think where um, where some trainers make a mistake is that they think they just do it some um, just just a, a singular place. You know, the beginning of a lesson. You know, or you're responsible for making sure the car is moved, is is, uh, is driven safely, and and I'm going to jump in if I need to. And there's that responsibility statement that some trainers get hung up on a little bit. Um, but um, it's actually the thread that that goes right through the lesson um, in terms of and touches on the structure of the lesson. You know, how are your lessons structured in a way that you can help your pupil learn? And and part of that is, um, first of all, deciding what topic that you're going to be working on. That's going to be in line with the, with the, with the syllabus um and then finding out um well working with that topic but also breaking that topic down into into lesson goals and i talk a lot of a lot about goal setting and i talk a lot about because it's you know it's one of the the best things we can do in it in, in a lesson that really keeps people's uh, on target and um and, and achieving something um but um when we're when we are Helping pupils learn well. What is it we're going to help them learn? Well, there's a topic where we're helping them learn within, um, and that topic follows a syllabus, um, and there are skills that we are using within the National Driver and Rider Standards to do that. Um, But the um, the thing then is, okay, well, um, how are we going to help them learn? What is it they have to actually learn? And when I when I became when I was when I was um, going through my part part three, it was a bit of a shock for me because I thought, okay, but part one, I understand. Uh, That's about theory, isn't it? And the part two, yeah, I understand that. That's about driving ability, isn't it? And then part three was like, oh, hang on a minute. Uh, Now I've got to teach someone. Um, Well, that's completely different. Um, So um, what did I need to do for that? Well, I I had to break that down. Every single thing that I um, knew about driving, I had to now bring out of my head And almost put down in a a logical sequence of events that need to happen in order for something to happen, uh, and break those steps down. And um, in order that, then I could teach someone, you know, how do you teach someone something you just do automatically? Was what I was thinking back then. So I had to think, okay, what is it I do automatically? And I hadn't had that thing about for a long time. Um, so when we are, when we're goal setting, when we when we are helping pupils learn, we're helping pupils learn all of those things that we do automatically. And we're bringing all of those out around a particular topic um, and we're turning them into pupils goals, pupils lessons, lesson goals. So when we do that um, and there's something specific that the pupil has to learn, develop, achieve, Get better at, do more confident, be more confident with, be less anxious about. These are all very specific things where we are drilling down to what our people's needs are. What is it our people needs to um, learn about this particular thing in order that eventually they can do it on their own with my support. So then this um, you know, um this particular competence then drills right down to, okay, those individual, um, specific lesson goals those specific things that people has to learn mm-hmm. and it could be i don't know if you teach manual it could be helping the people understand the relationship between the biting point and the gas and they've got to move their left leg that much and for those that are listening i don't know that's about five or six millimeters yeah mm-hmm. um and um um and, and realize the movement of their feet uh, and it could be as specific as that so when we, are, when we are working through a lesson, we are sharing tasks. We're, sh- we're breaking those, those things down into tasks, into lesson goals, into bits people need to learn. And atta- attached to each one of those, um, there's a risk attached to it. So as well as sharing the task, we're also sharing that part of the overall risk uh, that, for that particular thing. We're also sharing that as well. Um, uh, and the responsibility for who's going to be doing that. But as well as sharing the responsibility for who's going to be doing that and the risks around that, we're we're helping pupils understand what the consequences are around doing or not doing that. So right down at those real specific levels, we're helping pupils begin to understand what the consequences are of certain actions and behaving in a certain way. And doing things, um, uh, doing things in a certain way. So we are, uh, and what what the result might be. Uh, and um, you know, some people think, well, bring the clutch up too quick, you're going to stall. Okay, well, what does that mean, uh, And what what are the risks attached to that? Um, and in what situations might that be low risk, and in what situations might that be extremely high risk? So we are by um, with that particular. Um, uh, competence we're, we're we're sharing the risks and uh and and the tasks throughout the whole lesson right down to that um right down to that specific level
0: i like that um i like how you've
1: i i, I love the word
0: task and i think actually it's something i've started using in my training a little bit bit more because we talk about goals and we talk about needs but i do like this idea that we break those goals and needs down into mini tasks and i think that helps adis and pdis link this to that like that idea like what are our roles for this task um within within this goal that we're going for um 100 agree that this competency can sometimes have the biggest pitfall is people think that it's done at the start Like, right? we, we've, we've set the roles and responsibilities for the whole lesson and we're done um that's something that that a lot of PDIs out, out there need to be aware of. And also like reading from a script is the other one that um, makes me bang my head against the window when I'm sat in the back. Um, partly because you just see the people's eyes glaze over because they've heard it a billion times um, and nothing happens in that conversation. Like make it make it real, make it a conversation about like what you're going to do, what am I going to do, how are we going to get there together sort of kind of thing. Um a yeah, just to,
1: go on, Sorry, sorry. I just wanted to add to that, Phil, because um, because there, there are certain things about that statement, and uh, and in some cases, I think it's actually quite pertinent to talk about that at the start. Um, there's a few. There's a, there's a few things around that that that'd be good to just chat about. The, the, only because it's going to be specific to what we we'll to talk about later, but the in terms of the risk, um, when I remember when I was I was having driving lessons and um, I was at university and we had uh, it was during a free period in the summer and I was busy at uni. I got in the car, I sat in the seat, and went, "Oh, driving! How does that work again?" Uh, and we have this in lessons virtually every single time, don't we? Where, where people get in the car and the thing, and that's the only time they've thought about what they're going to do uh, or prepare themselves for a lesson. Um, so I think having that just that little conversation, just to remind them now, they're, they're back in the in the classroom as such, um, that there's now responsibilities that, you know, we're both going to be responsible for. Um, uh, it gets them back into that responsible learning mode, doesn't it? Um, and uh yes, you can certainly have that in a conversational way, that it doesn't sound repetitive, that it doesn't sound forced, it doesn't sound scripted. It's just a natural conversation. Um, as part of the head check, you know, how the feeling, how's it going, what's the week been like? Okay, well, we're back into driving now. How how would you be prepared? Or, and um so you start to talk about, okay, well, in a minute we're gonna share some tasks and we're gonna well, we're gonna we're gonna share a few things and you're gonna be responsible for that, and I'm responsible for this. How do you feel about that? So, you know, there's um But as well as that, if you think about uh, sometimes when you get very nervous or anxious pupils, they sometimes just need to know that you're still going to be there for them. Um, And it's important. that. um, uh, And I've had pupils in the past, you know, looking back when they've said to me, oh, you're not going to let me do this. You're not going to let me do that, are you? Of course, of course I'm not. Um, So sometimes pupils need reassurance that you are there, um, that you might need to, you're going to help them out. Um, if they need the help, and if you do, then obviously you're going to talk about that opportunity, which means it's going to be better next time. So, um, so having that conversation um, can help your pupil um, get into uh, learning mode, and it can also help a, a nervous and anxious people just to reassure them that everything's going to be all right. You know, it's going to be fine. Um, but um, because you know, some examiners do. Uh, and if I was an examiner, I'd get a little bit. Oh gosh, not this again! You know, when you hear when you hear a scripted conversation, because an examiner wants to sit in the back of a normal lesson, they'll say that. I know to a degree it's not a normal lesson because it's a it's an assessment, whether it's a Part Three or whether it's a Standards Check, and it's not. You know, and then to a degree at the minute you can't take the type of pupil you 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 could take because there are certain not restrictions, but there are certain parameters that the DVSA are looking for in a wheels moving lesson. But um, so, um, so I would say, you know, there there are some some times when just a conversation that's helped that would, would help to reassure the pupil or to just to confirm, yeah, come on, we're back in learning mode now. Responsibilities, da 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 da. Sometimes that helps. Yeah, I, I think it always helps. Actually, I think it's
0: a, it's it's great to have, like you said, it sort of sets the scene. It's, it gets them in that mindset. I think it's it definitely it, have that. I just it, it's one of those things where it's it's not just that it's that and then carry on having that that conversation i i actually remember a pupil once that because i i i do that obviously regularly and i remember pulling up at the side of the road and we dis- discussed that we were going to go off and do um something on roundabouts and the level that we'd set was that she was going to be independent give it a go um and i had forgotten to say but if anything happens i'll i'll, I'll jump in and 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 save us and or i've got your back is what i tend to sort of kind of like to describe it as of so, so i'm here to help if if need be i forgot and um and i think most people's would just because i'd said it in the past assume um but this people obviously had like felt that they needed me a little bit um and certainly was very conscious of the fact that i did used to say that and because i didn't say it, i just forgot she turned and said that she was like but you you're still going to jump in, yeah? And it's sort of like I like, yeah, no, no, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll still sort of protect you if something goes wrong. But actually, I want you to start thinking of it as like I'm not here, so that you have that um, you're taking that responsibility. Um, yeah. And so it is interesting that pupils do do need it; they do they they do like that reassurance. Um, and then, having said that though, and I and I think I remember chatting a, a few weeks ago about parents and and how what sometimes parents can do better than we can do. And I think this is one of those things where almost just because of the nature of the relationship, um, pupils, or just the nature of the fact we have a pedal in front of us, um, that the pupils have that little bit of reliance on us. And when they're in the car with the parents, they, they, they take more responsibility naturally um, and so I do think that's something that we can do in the car with our learners is try to encourage them to take that same level of responsibility when they're driving with us
1: um, once they're at the right level to do that. Yeah. And this is what we're doing throughout the lesson, because part of that, part of that um, competence is, you know, did the uh, trainer ensure that people fully understood how the responsibility for Rish would be shared? But that happens throughout the learning. So when you're dealing with goals, then um, as the pupil learns, um, well, then your input into the lesson, so your support will change, won't it? So um, you might start off by giving them lots of support and um, by talking them through and helping them learn in that way. But then as your pupil starts to take on board some of those things, some of those tasks, some of those responsibilities for those tasks, you're then sharing them, giving them more to do. Um, it's making sure that throughout that that structure is there, that they now understand that, okay, so this time you're going to do that, you're going to be responsible for that, and I'm going to be responsible for this, and that's how you're going to move on a little bit. Um, And then gradually you're taking them through to uh, independence. But beyond there's also beyond independence, which is um, to, uh, well, in training speak, we call it uh, unconscious um, competence, which is muscle memory, isn't it? Um, so we're helping pupils understand that, um, there's a level of responsibility they're now taking on, uh, and the risks attached to that. And we are doing that throughout the whole learning process. So we're helping them understand, okay, so I'm going to back off a little bit. You said you want to give that a go on your own. Fantastic. Uh, so you're going to do that bit. I'm going to do that. Uh, or it may be, okay, so you're going to do that on your own now. That's brilliant. Crack on. I'll just, I'll just watch you jump in if I need to so so that that sharing of tasks and risks and responsibilities happens throughout the whole learning process throughout the whole lesson yeah i think just that bit you sort of mentioned
0: there about um go and have a go on your own like crack on show show me what you got sort of kind of um from for a pupil and i think it's really important that we do that because i have there's something that i see a lot when sat, sat in the back of lessons that um, instructors almost just try to fade into the background <laughs> like slowly and subtly um and so the pupil is getting better at the roundabouts and and the pupil, the instructors may be there in their head going they're getting this this is good i'm going to shut up at the next one but it's really important that we verbalize that because otherwise the pupil is waiting for that prompt um or and and you're not suddenly saying yeah let's go or yeah let's slow down And they're not doing it, and you're thinking, oh, they were doing it last time. I was like, yeah, because you prompted them. (laughs) It's very important that you pass that responsibility over um, to the people so that they know what their role is in this, and and it's a great way as well of helping them realize they're making progress. Because sometimes progress is getting better at something, but sometimes this progress is shutting your driving instructor up, Um, and and realizing that the less they're talking, the the more they. The, the more progress and the more responsible and, and that might be their win for the for the end of the session is that i managed to do this roundabout and you didn't say anything i've still got work to do on this roundabout but you didn't say anything and we were okay that might be
1: be their win and that's where you are um the structure taking place because um your pupils rely on that structure um and they they um And if there's any ambiguity there, they're not sure. You know, am I doing this now, or did that? That my instructor said they were going to prompt me there, but they never did. What does that mean? Um, So um, uh, that way, they can easily track, like you say, their their progress. Um, But the, the wider, the wider implication on that is that you are helping pupils manage their expectations. So, uh, as your pupil becomes aware of what their current abilities are, then um, you're then better able to manage their expectations all the way through the learning process. Um, so they're le- they're less likely then to come to you and say, "Oh, can um, I book my driving test?" when they are nowhere near ready, um, because they are um, they wouldn't be doing that. Um, if they had an understanding of where they were now what was left to achieve and uh, how long it might take them to do that so um, you are right down at that very very lower level helping them understand how their learning is going how you're supporting them and there's that structure there so there's uh, they know at any one time we we and that structure is based on them helping them achieve goals because i'm going back and we're we're not talking so much about lesson planning today but um your your lessons are going to be structured around helping your pupil achieve goals, which means that your route's going to help them do that. You're going to change up the route when you need to. And that's all about sharing tasks and responsibilities. When your pupil's now got it, you're there thinking, okay, well, how can I help them learn now? And what tends to happen is you you have a conversation where you go, right, okay, I can see you've got that now. Can I make a suggestion? Let's take it around the corner where those those corners are just a little bit more complex, and there's something else for you to learn. So you're moving on a little bit. Again, you are helping your pupil recognise that learning's taking place. They're now moving on. They're doing it at independence, and now they're ready for something more challenging. So this is where the competences touch on each other. They're not just. They're, they're not just in, are independent of each other. They actually, uh, like a spider's web, interconnect with each other, which is why one thing can affect another thing. So when you go for an assessment, we're not talking about assessment much, but when you go for an assessment, if you fall down in one area, you're more than likely going to be falling down in a few others as well. Um, so yeah so right down at that sharing risk, tasks, and responsibilities um, that happens throughout throughout the whole process as you're helping your pupil learn. Then you back off a little bit, you give them a go um they do it on their own you then give them enough practice so they're doing it competently uh to a point where you're then going to move them on a little bit make it a bit more complex you might then have to give them a bit more support um but there's progress happening all the time um and that's when you can look back at the end of a lesson after you've shared all those tasks and all those responsibilities and given them some more that then you can have and then debrief you can then go right talk to me about today what have you learned and that will all come out because there's been clear understanding, there's been a clear separation between what you've done for them, what they've done themselves, and how they've grown, how they've developed, what they've learned to do themselves all the way through the lesson. Yeah, I, I agree. And actually it's it's one of the ways I can tell we've had a good lesson
0: is when a pupil can answer that question really easily because they they've seen that. Um just want to ask a question because it's one thing that I get asked quite a lot on this um this topic is the question. Um, what help would you like from me or what support would you like from me when we've set that task and then a pupil says I want to have a go on my own but actually it's the first time we're doing it. In fact I was sat in the back of a lesson not too long ago where this happened and we were going off to do dual carriageways for the first time and the instructor said how much help would you like from me on the dual carriageway and the pupil said I would like to have a go on my own uh, and we've never ever done a slip road never joined a slip road and I'm sat in the back thinking please don't uh, and so, how do you? What do you sort of kind of
1: suggest around that? Um, having that conversation. First of all, isn't it great? Isn't it great that a pupil wants to challenge themselves like that? And I'm a great believer in in encouraging that because if you are uh, if you are encouraging them to take responsibility in this way, you're encouraging them to be brave. Sometimes I've always said, outside your comfort zone is where the magic happens, and that's where the learning takes place. Yeah. Having said that, we've also got to manage the risks, haven't we? In the car, um, so um, and uh, so that's about helping the pupil understand um, because it's a fantastic goal. That is, you know, that's a, that's a that's a great um, that's a great objective. It's it's something um, nice that you want to achieve. That and it's asking questions around. Okay, so what skills would you need to have or develop or be competent at in order for you to attempt that? And then it's having that conversation with the pupil to help raise their understanding and awareness, which is words that are used quite often to 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 get an understanding of what what's required. Uh, where where they are now have they got those sorts of skills break those break those skills down in order then you can have a conversation right okay so to achieve that bigger goal of doing a dual carriageway even entering a dual carriageway these are the things that then you would need to uh, understand develop learn get 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 um, get good at on the way to achieving that let's go and have a go at them yeah. so you're helping your people understand where their level is uh, and then working towards that goal, um you're helping them bring out those things, those skills they'd need to do in order to be able to achieve that. Yeah, definitely. And I think actually this to be fair to the instructor that in that in that
0: scenario that is exactly what they did actually. They didn't dismiss the fact that the people wanted to have a go on their own. they they talked about what they could do on their own. Um, uh, which was great and and so for example the approach to a a dual carriageway is just mspsl so they they already knew that um so there was elements of that but it when it came to things like choosing speed maybe making the decision um and and stuff like that then the instructor said it would make sense that if i offered some support and the goal then actually became again sort of kind of let's get to the point where you can have a go on your own and and so absolutely i I,
1: yeah i 100% agree um it's got to be within the pupil's current level of ability maybe with your support yeah they shouldn't overwhelm them um and completely outside of their ability Uh, have you noticed i'm using language around the competences here that's deliberate yeah um because um It it is about, you know, connecting the dots here. Um, In real life, you're saying to yourself, okay, well, can my pupil do this? Where's my pupil's capabilities? What do I have to help them understand um, so they can come to to the conclusion that actually I'm not ready to do that yet? I need to focus on this first. Uh, And then that's engaging them in the learning, isn't it? It's helping them um, manage their expectations, um, but also keeping them um, motivated um in a way that that's a that's a, a that's a fantastic um that's a, you know, that's a nice goal to achieve what is it we could work on today that would help you get there um then it's having those com- those conversations in that way so you're what,
0: managing the yeah it, absolutely and actually this that brings me on to my final question which I, I get asked quite a lot um is what do i do so this is a PDI asking so what would i do if i have said to a pupil you can your responsibility for you can go do this on your own and then it starts to go wrong and i think pdi is particularly sort of kind of struggle with this concept of but i've said they can do it on their own and then mm-hmm. do i shut up and let it go wrong or do i jump in and prevent prevent the mistake what would you say
1: yeah well th- this is um when you're working um inside or outside the goal if you're working inside the goal if it's something that um you've shared the risks and, tasks and responsibilities for then um, you are going to jump in if it's um, safety critical, aren't you? Um, so you are, it's a bit like um, Phil. I don't know, Phil. Phil, can you ride a bike? I can, yeah. Yeah. Do, do you remember how you learned how to ride a bike? Yeah, probably my dad holding on to the back of it, um, <laughs> pushing me along. Yeah, and then you built your confidence up and uh, you had to learn something that our brain, your brain was telling you not to do, which was speed up. You had to learn how to speed up because then you got your balance didn't you. Um, but you said dad was there and dad was there ready to grab the saddle uh, or grab you to stop you from falling. Yeah. Well, that's exactly what we are doing uh, in the car. We are we are helping our pupils learn within safety critical parameters. They might wobble a little bit. Yeah. But um providing it's not risk critical, we're going to let them have a go. That's called experiential learning. Um, we're letting them learn by doing it so they can work out, oh, that was a little bit too much gas, or oh, that was a little bit harsh on the break. Um, and we're helping them understand what the risks and consequences are to that so they can then try it again in a different way, maybe with all, maybe with our support. Um, so it's, it's understanding that um, if the pupil has said, can I give it a go, that yes, of course they can. If there's anything risk critical, you're still going to need to step in. Um, because you're not going to let them fall. You're going to be there to grab the saddle. But they might not get it 100% right, but that's okay, because they're learning from that experience. And they know that you are there to not let them get do something that's risk-critical, that you will step in. So it's that boundary between letting them have a go at it, them not quite getting it 100%, but at least they're learning from the experience, not stepping in too early, but stepping in if you need to.
0: Um, yeah and i fully relate to that that analogy as well because i recently taught my daughter to ride a bike um the instructor in me very much came out (laughs) in that in that process yeah
1: yeah. Um, Yeah, yeah.
0: so shall we move on to have a a chat about the national standards um um, for driver and rider training um so we're going to talk about unit four um which is hugely linked to what we've just talked about um and i think this is again making people aware that the 17 competencies come from the national standards for driver right to training. Um mm-hmm. and so unit four, manage uh risk to the instructor, learner, and third parties. So yeah, again, Ray, do you want to just talk to me about that a little bit? Like um, and,
1: and we'll go we'll go from there. Um, yeah, um, where do you want to start? There's quite a bit here. Um let's start off with um well, com- communicate intentions to other road users. Are we on that bit? Should we do that bit? Yeah. Um, so this is where you know, um, if you think about what are the main things that show intent, it's our position, our speed, and our signals, isn't it? And we're helping pupils understand that they're giving off, um, they're they're giving they're giving off body language and intent to other drivers, and we're helping them learn to look for those things in order that they can make safe decisions. Um, so there's and there's risks around that. Um, One of the questions I ask, this is based on psychology a little bit as well, is that I I say to a pupil um, with things like signalling, you're learning to drive at the moment. Um, Why didn't you ask um, um, one of maybe your mum or your dad or one of your friends, what's the biggest problem that you experience um, with roundabouts? And I I say to the pupils, and I said to the pupils, I bet during that conversation, they mentioned people not signalling correctly. And that's an interesting one, um, because um, if every driver you speak to mentions, oh, yeah, people don't signal probably roundabouts, um, uh, then why is there a problem? And that's because, well, they aren't doing it either. (laughs) Uh, And that's, uh, that's the psychological aspect of, oh, it's always someone else's fault, isn't it? So we're helping pupils take responsibility here for the fact that um, they have to give off the right signals in the right time that reduces the risks and consequences. It's all about risks and consequences, isn't it? So giving single giving signals when necessary um, that's going to help uh, help someone inform someone. It's um, going to provide some um, protection for them. Um, that's important. So that's in there. But again, if you think about you know the, the other side of it, you know the consequences of not doing it. Uh, it, it's all then, then the, the safety elements come out, don't they? Because after all, we're, we're helping people keep, keep safe. It's not that but we're teaching them to do things by rote, um, you know, off by art, you know, mirror here, signal here, brake here. Um, we're helping them learn how to c- control a car uh, in the right way that reduces the risk, um, that then um, make sure that others around them know what their intent is so um uh, that was um that was that one um where are we asking then the next before, one we've got is um before we move on actually i, I yeah. that
0: that story about the signals was was um just triggered a memory that i had uh, with my dad driving the car once and uh, we were approaching yeah. a roundabout, following the road ahead second exit a car didn't indicate to exit the roundabout and as mm-hmm. it, it, so we, my dad did that oh yeah i could have gone sort of kind of thing Drove into yeah. the roundabout and then didn't indicate to exit the roundabout. Yeah. I was like, yeah. but you didn't indicate. And he goes, well, it was obvious where I was going. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. well, to you, maybe, but not yeah. to those cars. And it yeah, just shows sure. how, like, in, in the same roundabout, he had that exact mm. conversation. It just shows how yeah. blind people are to that,
1: um, the benefit of that signal to
0: to other road users. Yeah.
1: And it also touches on um, thoughts, feelings, and beliefs. Yep, Because... Um, and these are the conversations you can have with your pupils you know um if a if a driver is saying that that is a problem people not signaling, why do you think it might be that they don't do it themselves uh and then you get into well they they, they might they might have forgot, well yeah, they might have forgot um uh they might not believe that it's necessary because they haven't had a problem yet the way that they're acting at the moment. Um, and that's, that is a problem because sometimes drivers can go 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years without there being a problem. But then habitually, something will happen on, th- on year 30 plus one day and they have an accident as a result of them not doing that for 30 years. It's just today there there was a consequence. So we're helping our pupils understand there's a connection here between risk and human behavior um, and um, how we can get into a pattern of behavior that reduces our risk. Um, and signaling our intent is you uh, is, can have a conversation around that. Um, uh, and that, that that's quite a good one because it helps pupils understand that it's not the action. It's what the action results in um and it's and helping them understand in what situations would that be necessary um next one we've got um to cooperate with other road users and that's um be aware of uh, and predict the likely actions of other road users this is a real deep well you can go down here because this is now a situational awareness and um one of the main causes of pupils actually not being successful in a driving test is because they come across something they, they weren't aware of, but they haven't dealt with before, um, or something happened, the situation changed, and they didn't know how to deal with it. So that's the depth with which we delve into situational awareness and help our pupils experience situations outside of test routes or outside of the local area or um, or in situations that are the most complex, at, at the most difficult time of day, um, because then we're helping our pupils develop this understanding of how, and, and to be able to predict the actions of, of other drivers based on their body language, know what the rules are, know what they should be doing and therefore be looking out for what others should be doing in certain situations, read those situations in order to become safer. And Um, This also connects quite nicely to pupils that are nervous and anxious because one of the one of the problems that uh, can happen there is a lack of confidence and come from a lack of not being in control um uh, and when you've got a nervous and anxious people that doesn't feel in control they um, lack the ability or the understanding to be able to look at those things to, to be able to predict those situations to be right about those situations and then to act on them so knowing that what they've predicted that sixth sense if you like that driver's sixth sense has come to fruition that they've done that that they predicted that that car was going to do that, then their confidence has gone up. So um, helping people understand what the, um, and be aware and predict the likely action of other, of other road users is a fundamental part of keeping safe on the road. Um, and that's about giving them time, giving the other drivers and road users enough time when it goes wrong. So if you're aware of your surroundings, and you see something's happening here, hang on a minute, I better slow down here, otherwise it's going to make the situation a lot worse. So it's being able to adapt to the right situation in the right way. Uh, in the in the standards, it also talks about emergency vehicles and how to uh, how to respond to those as well, but also making progress in in a, in a, in a steady traffic stream uh, overtaking consideration for the road users. Interestingly, overtaking is is one that um, um, sometimes on a country road it's very difficult to be able to teach. <laughs> um, but how many times have we been on a country road when we've had to overtake a, a slow-moving vehicle or a tractor? Um, and um, so, using opportunities like that when they when they appear are golden. I would say, jump on those. Um, try and help your pupil in every situation possible. Um, and it talks about making progress in um, in overtaking traffic. And overtaking is one of the most um, hazardous risks we can hazardous and risky things we can do. So let's help our pupils learn how to do it confidently in all situations think about half five at night when we're traveling towards a lane roundabout that we've that we've um, uh, not done before and all of a sudden it's all gone a little bit wrong and we're in an incorrect lane well what's the safest thing to do here well i'm in an overtaking lane well what do i need to do and how do I need to do it so this is all this situation analysis that we're helping our pupils understand what the risks and the consequences are to doing certain things in a certain way at a certain time and whether that's going to be a low risk or high risk so um i think
0: interestingly just showing your answer there i realized that we were talking about different national standards um but that's absolutely fine because actually they both massively overlap with with risk anyway and it links with what we were talking about um on our competency so it shows that it's sort of this always runs through the entire sort of kind of spectrum of what the dvsa put out there um and how how limiting it can be if we just teach to the driving test because all of this information is out there for us to be pushing our pupils to way beyond there and and, um i know and i spoke to chris last week about this chris benstead and he he sort of kind of says that the dvsa are, are are about minimum standards and i agree that to a certain extent because that's what they test they test the minimum standards but what they actually put out is content saying this is the maximum standards this is what we should be aiming for our pupils um and I think there is an element of again and and maybe actually you you've kind of sparked an idea in my head that we need I need to go through the the, the national so the what you were talking about as national standards for driving cars and light vans um and and section four if that is all about um uh, risk and 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 dealing with other road users national standards for um oh i forgot what's called now instructors uh national standards for driver and rider training and i think instructors need to be aware of both um and i'm, I'm sure you are obviously ray as well um and they both go through uh, and unit four happens to talk about risk um in, in that situation but managing risk within a driving lesson rather than managing risk as a driver um one thing on 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 unit four is it talks about um making sure your pupil is fit for driving um so it talks about sort of alcohol and drugs um and I just wonder how you would advise ADIs and PDIs to to go about that on on a on a lesson how do you sort of kind of um if you have a pupil maybe not even necessarily no, actually, let's go through that. So, if a pupil turns up and you're maybe suspicious that there is uh, that they have been using drugs the night before or or alcohol the night before, um, how would you how would you advise that conversation? Because I think that can be quite an awkward situation to be in as a driving instructor.
1: Um, well, one that I've been in many times, and I'm sure quite a few have, and and PDIs will, uh, if they're not yet experienced, this they they may do, but it's sort of put, it's an important part of making sure that pupils are fit for a lesson. Um, um, we're using our intuition to a larger or greater degree, but there's certain things that we can pick up on. You know, tiredness is one, if we know what our pupil shift patterns are um, and uh, picking the, um, you know, the right time for a lesson at the right time. Um, because you, uh, But also things like... Um, conversations about you know what did the night before alcohol use um drugs you know recreational drugs i've had lessons when i've smelled recreational drugs on on a person's clothing we've had that conversation um it is about understanding that um the, the the risks and consequences attached to that but again um um that um all these things there's, there's there's laws attached to them it's helping out people to understand what they are um and being fit and ready to drive whether that's being tired or whether that's been under the influence of what the consequences of those things are so i think when you've got trust and rapport with your pupil you can say look can i just have a conversation can i just have a chat a minute i've just noticed that there's a smell here um and then you're more able to broach that when um you've got good rapport with your pupil but you um there's also things you can do um, in terms of you know checking pupil dilation and things like that just to see if there're but you, unless you've got a drug test in the car you can or a drink or an alcohol breathalyzer you, you can't really tell but it's having the um uh, for sure but it's certainly having the the conversation that um You know, um, those things um, shouldn't be happening and the lesson will be cancelled if ever you thought that that was the case Um, because um, your pupil needs to understand what the risks and consequences are to themselves and others around that. So um, I'm I'm sure you've had similar conversations yourself. I have,
0: yeah. My worst ever one, actually, um, I didn't notice Um, with a pupil we were doing, we were about 20 minutes into a lesson and she actually asked to pull the car over got out and was sick on the pavement um at which Mm -hmm. point I realized "Mm, you're a bit hungover aren't you because you could smell it at that point um I think she put enough mint and mouthwash in before that (laughs) um to to help to help mask it and I think that created this yeah again it was like I'll drive us home let's have a conversation and and I don't know, but maybe that was a good thing to happen for her because maybe that is now um, we've able to have that conversation in that moment and make it that we 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 drove home, and hopefully she's now gone out into the world of driving and will think twice about drinking heavily the night before uh, driving um so it did allow me to have that conversation Something i do now actually is um so i um, all of my instructors um use the honest truth app yeah um, and actually this week i had a pu- uh, instructor ask me saying last week a, p- a person turned up smelling of cannabis um and he had he had said that it was just my friend's smoke I'm in the flat and that sort of kind of thing yeah which is fine and she said well how do i deal with this and I was like, "There's, there's literally a video <laughs> on on the Honest Truth app about drugs. Show them the video, and then have a conversation. Um, because, like you say, unless you've got a drug test, you can't, uh, you can't say." whether they were or weren't um uh, taking drugs but you can have a conversation around the safety of it and you can because if they're in and around drugs then maybe it is going to be an issue post test so let's let's try and educate them and try and and um, uh, plant that seed that that will maybe grow into a safe decision in the future
1: mm-hmm. and the standard also talks about making sure you're fit to teach as well mm mm-hmm yeah so it's not it's about the pupil um you know making sure you're your fit to teach um and you've taken reasonable steps um but you, i don't know whether it's education or but be, when i became a driving instructor i think um I've, i didn't drink and drive anyway but um i'd probably have a shandy or something but that'd be it but then when i became a driving instructor i, I had pretty much a zero tolerance to, to alcohol um and um so when i'm when i was ever when still now, you know, when I'm training the 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 next day, uh, I won't be having a drink the night before. But that's the um, personal choice. Um, And uh, because um, um, you recognise, again, about risks, you're trying to keep the risks as low as possible because there's a job to do in the car. Uh, And it's about taking on responsibility. And that's what we're helping our pupils do. Uh, And if we're taking on... And we're showing them that we're taking on responsibility to make sure that we're fit to teach uh, and they're fit to drive... Um, for the right reasons because of all these consequences then um, that's the responsible thing to do isn't it
0: yeah absolutely Um, and I think I was the same I think like since becoming a driving instructor and I think I'm quite fortunate that I came a driving instructor at 21 so um, I was able to learn these lessons early on in life (laughs) Um, and the yeah you just you have a different perspective Mm -hmm. on it um, and yeah, it's not well. It's, it's obviously it's not worth the risk on the road, but it's also not worth your job, right? Like, it, no. it, it, it's yeah. yeah. Um. So it's just this livelihood and 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 everything in that situation. Um.
1: The-, the next one on there is three. Um. Make sure the learner fully understood how you will share. Um. With them, the responsibility for their safety, your safety, and the safety of other road users. So that's what we've talked about. That that's yeah. that consequence. Um. That um. Being responsible for their safety means carrying out, thing, doing things in a certain way, um, To uh, and if they do them in a certain way, they either increase the risk or decrease the risk, um, that um, they've got responsibility while they're driving and doing their bit for your safety and everyone else outside of the car. Um, so that that that's that bit pretty much we've covered in there. And then you've got give clear uh, and timely instructions, um, such as when to start, when to start, when to turn. Uh, I think that's um, – um, th- there's two things that can happen there. First of all, if uh, if you're, if your instructions are late, well, then that's putting additional pressure on the pupil that's already trying to think about what they've got to do. Um, uh, and then um, you're cramming in that time pressure, um, and um, you're giving them a lot more to think about um, as well as think about what they've got to do. Um, so giving timely instructions uh, sorry directions is important but also instructions you know something that you've agreed to do something that um, you have said okay I'll prompt you now again if they're late or if they're too early after uh, too early people might forget what you said or or, or too late that they, they they've got too much to do in a short space of time of course that can increase the risk in both directions yeah I think also
0: it, to, to note on, on on that part of the national standards is it directly links to the next competency on the um on the part on the part 3 in standards check is were directions and instructions given to people um clear and in, in good time so i think this is again just trying to emphasize to people listening how those competencies come from this document basically they they, they are directly linked i think even the next one um actually not not so much the next one but later on that it talks about um watching your pupil it talks about having common using client-centered learning to make sure that they are better better equipped to deal with such hazards in the future which links to a later competency so i i'm not I'm not necessarily suggesting we go through each one step by step because i think they they are um there's a the, here says continue to scan the environment assess hazards while observing the learner and providing training inputs again it's all linked across and so i think this is why it's so important for people to go and read this document and make their own notes and and actually i was talking to someone earlier about this how this document is a set of standards it's not training it's a set of standards and and i think your job is to look at those sentences and those little sections and say am i doing that um and if not wh- where can i go and uh, and get get training so that i am doing that and and ask themselves am i providing all of this to to my to my learners um and so that's why i think this document is so important because i think it it allows a uh, uh, again to for you to not be settling for minimum standards go have a look at the maximum standards and say am i covering that and if not go to someone like ray and say ray i can't do this very well
1: please help um well, also because you could scale yourself couldn't you yes. so uh, on each one of those uh, out of 10 you could say yep yeah, in my lessons now i get this covered pretty much every single time without even thinking about it and that's a 10 and there would be oops what does that mean i never do that Uh, And I'll give you an idea of also your performance throughout a lesson in terms of or or all those covered uh, continuously, consistently, because consistency around um, risk management is one of the biggest risks, isn't it? If you are 100% consistent with what you say, what you do and how you help your pupil, um, then that's going to be that's going to impact on safety in quite a big way.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely um so um Ray before I and I always forget to um remind the guests of this that I was going to ask you for a, a top tip for your for um ADIs and PDIs um and what your your final sort of kind of top tip will be and actually to be honest I'm starting to enjoy that I don't remind you guys because I think it comes up with like a off the cuff sort of kind of nice better better answer anyway but before we do that, um, and 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 we sort of kind of wrap up, do you want to tell everyone um, where they can find you and maybe what courses you've got going on at the moment?
1: Uh, yeah, I'm doing, uh, I'm breaking the, uh, well, I'm doing a series of uh, masterclasses called Beyond the Standards Check, um, where I look at, um, uh, in a more deep and meaningful way, we talk about lesson planning and risk management and um, teaching learning strategies. There are three that I've got going at the moment. Uh, but we we look right deep into um into the the national standards and also the, the competences uh, and we relate those to what everyday lessons should look like um, and what it should sound like what it should feel like um so it just becomes part of um what you actually do so the next time you come for an assessment that um, you the examiner's seeing actually you they aren't saying something that you've tried to just put in place just because there's a an assessment coming up this is how you teach this is what you do um because we know when that happens your training is more consistent and um uh, more consistently high and actually it's um it's less hard work um you are showing an examiner that you're you're hitting all the 17 different conferences and you and you're doing it in a consistent way and i think that's important so uh, i'm running um uh, three separate courses on that. Um, you can find me on Facebook. I've got um, uh, my own Facebook group. There's about almost three thousand uh, ADIs and PDIs on there now. It's an invitation only. Um, that's called the Driving Instructors Development Toolkit. Um, it's um, unlike any other Facebook group, in as much as that it's very supportive. Um, uh, well, it's more supportive than than some of the others out there. It, there's a lot of um, um, uh, the ADIs and PDIs go on there and uh, they engage in the conversation. They're supportive with uh, the answers. We, we recognize we're all on a different learning journey. It's a safe learning space and uh, you, can contri- you can contribute and help others out. And that's a really nice place to be. So uh, you've got an invite to come and join me on that. Uh, and, or you can seek me out on Facebook, um, Ray Seagrave Instructor Training, where you can see um, some of my courses I'm doing there. I also visit uh, ADI associations and and teach groups of ADIs. So uh, if you're a member of an association, you'd like to get me along, then you can contact me and we can do something together. That'd be good. Uh, we can do a workshop, uh, a day's workshop down there. We can focus on um, on something and help uh, your association improve and develop and your ADIs within there. So, um, um So, yes, Uh, and also I also do um, one-to-one coaching and um, and mentoring sessions where uh, as an ongoing preparation for your development and preparing for you to be the best that you can be, um, then we work together over a period of time. Uh, and um, ADIs, ADIs, particularly in PDIs, are finding that really useful in terms of really de- growing, developing their skills, being better uh, at the job every single day and applying new concepts, new ideas into their training. Um, and, of course, preparing them for any, any assessment that they've got coming up. So that's a way of being having direct uh, contact with uh, a trainer that's able to support them and help grow their skills and develop them.
0: Brilliant. I, lo- I love the sound of this the the, the course is being beyond the standards check and 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 just how we should be doing it day in day out so that mm. the standards check is easy at that point if, if it's just what you do yeah I really like that yeah. and i can um also vouch for your facebook group because i'm i'm on there and and i i fully agree it is a very supportive group and and the the conversations in that group actually i do find are different to other groups not just because they're supportive but i think people ask different types of questions maybe because of um the content you put out there and 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 there's it, it's yeah it's maybe just that next level style stuff i think so i know there was different levels on there but i uh yeah. it, it, you get some interesting conversations on there so i think yeah 100% vouch for, for for that as a group yeah uh, so come and join us on there yeah definitely um so um so Ray, yes um what would your top tip if you had one one tip you could give adis and pdis what would that be
1: um, I would say, uh, get to know your pupil and um, be prepared to adapt what you do to their level of need, whatever that is. One of the biggest th- problems I see is when ADIs and PDIs don't do that. Um, train to your pupil's ability and capability and change it up and, and encourage that learning to take place. Keep the learning going, keep pushing the learning on within your within your pupil's current ability. That That will show value for money and um your people uh, if at the end of a session at the end of a lesson you can ask your people three things one have you had fun two have you learned something new and three do you think you made progress and if you get answers three yeses to every single one of those then you're doing well keep that going
0: brilliant um yeah no i love i love that and so yeah thank you thank you very much ray um for for giving up your time and some Uh, great insights i I said before we 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 came on here that i'm really enjoying um talking to all these top trainers and how you will describe these things um differently and i think um again today i think there's that your your perspective on on training is 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 different to others out there and and really resonates with 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 how i sort of kind of think about it so um yeah thank you very much for 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 taking your time to to come and talk to us today no problem great
1: thanks a lot Inspire Instructor
0: Podcast, where the learning never stops.